The Bible says what? The Bible says what? The Bible says what? What does this Bible say? What? Say what? Say what? What does the Bible say? The Bible says what? Hey, grace and peace. Welcome to the Bible Says What podcast. I'm Paul DeZay from Columbus, Indiana. And I am Pastor John from beautiful, sunny Centerville, Ohio at Living Hope Church. Hey, it's good to be with you, buddy. How are you, man? I'm stoked, man, to record another new episode. We've gotten like great uh, response. We're, we're so thankful for all of you that have taken time out of your busy days to listen to the Bible Says What podcast. I believe at last look, Paul, we were almost up to like almost 500 like plays. That is amazing. Thanks, everybody, for giving us a listen. You guys rock. Yeah, so we got another interesting question coming up. We, we've been like rocking the stuff, like angry God stuff, violent God stuff, literal or figurative. This new, this one today is, ex, it's exciting. It's like big and a huge question. What what the heck are we talking about today, Paul? All right, so here's the question, and, and you guys sent us the question, and so we want to say up front, Please send us your questions because we want to answer them. And this question was sent to us by one of our listeners. And here we go. Was there a literal worldwide flood? Was there a literal worldwide flood? The Bible says there was. Well, what what does that all mean, John? I mean, was there a literal worldwide flood? Well, you know, my assumption is when I, <laughs> I, you know, I have the whole flannel graph felt things in my head and, you know, all the animals nice and pretty going up to Noah's Ark and all that kind of stuff. And our assumption is, yeah, there was a flood and even scientific evidence shows that there was flooding on the earth, you know, millions or whatever, however many years ago, however you interpret that. Um, but, but yeah, we take for granted that the Bible says there was a flood. There was a flood. Wasn't there a flood, right. Paul? Was I, am I wrong? Absolutely, there was a flood. And, <laughs> and uh, geologists say, say there was a flood. There's a flood. The question is, was there a literal worldwide flood? In other words, was the whole globe uh, flooded? Or was it a regional thing? And how does that, how do we come to that conclusion? And what does it mean for us in 2021, right? Yeah, and also, you know, kind of connects back to what we've talked about in the past. A lot of times our images of God kind of come from these happy Bible story pictures. You know, I remember sitting in the Sunday school and the Sunday school teacher teacher showing me on the little flannel thing of all, like I said, all the little animals. It's this nice, pretty picture of the flood. But really, when we get down to the nitty gritty of the flood story and whether it happened or was it worldwide, we're talking about God like killing like tons of this is like a major disaster kind of stuff yeah it, it's not a bambi or a lion king type of movie here we're talking about 28 days later or contagion right, <laughs> right. I mean, this is this is horror movie type stuff right oh my gosh and we love a good disaster movie you know but i think what we love like i love the whole asteroid smashing into the earth kind of thing but i like to watch disaster movies from afar Absolutely. <laughs> the moment it like comes into my backyard uh, i don't i don't like it so much you know and this that's always what I come back to with these depictions of God in the Old Testament, I, I, I look at them and say, well, what can I learn from them? But then it like connects very personally with this reality that that's the God that is my God, you know, is, is he going to like decide one day he just doesn't like me enough and whammo, bammo, thank you, mammo, flood the earth and kill old everybody and John included, you know, that that's kind of a scary thing. Sure. This is a horrific deal in Genesis. Yeah, absolutely. So, the human experiment has failed. 
right? I mean, violence has really flooded the earth, right? And there's only one possible solution, and that is for God to kill every living thing by drowning all things, right? Save for one family and a limited number of animals. So why would a loving God and a master designer of the cosmos do such a thing, John Gibson? <laughs> well, you know, I th- and we've kind of hit at this theme that this is one of those stories where we have to kind of get underneath the text and understand the world in which it's written and the people to whom it's written for, you know? And so reading it with Western eyes is, is kind of a, a dangerous thing. And the, the problem with that is most of us, it's the only way we know how to read the Bible. You know, when I read the scriptures, I view it through my perceptions of my modern lens. But once again, this invites us to see the story behind the text and leave our modern world behind. It's so necessary to enter in and see what was really going on and who was this for and what did it mean for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we need to jump into the shoes of the ancient Israelites and try to imagine what they would have seen. Right. So that's kind of how we study the Bible in general is try to understand who wrote it and what did it mean to them. And so we have to kind of go backwards either. uh, Well, I don't know, 6,000 years ago? A long time. I don't know. A long time uh, ago. And so, and so if we take off our modern glasses, we need to recognize, number one, Israel's neighbors also had flood stories. And those flood stories are very similar to the one we find in the Bible. And uh, Israel's flood story was written after these other flood stories. So their flood story, the one we find in the Bible, was the new flood story. Hold on a this second. This was written to differentiate between the other flood stories. So you're saying there were flood stories before the Bible flood story? Yes. The Bible wasn't the first story. No. No. In fact, the Israelites, the, the Hebrew people, were kind of new to the scene. Really, they were a new religion. There were pagan religions all around, like the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Sumerians. So the Israelites were kind of new to the scene, and so their flood story differentiated from the other flood stories. I think this that's deeply significant. Just from a, a ordinary old Joe and Jane Bible reading standpoint, many of us enter in with the with the assumption that the Bible is was the first foremost authority of all events throughout history, right? And so we read it with this lens that the the flood story was the flood story and everybody else should just read that and that's the way it is or the genesis account for for, for that matter all, all these things throughout scripture but it's really interesting to understand that the israelites entered into uh, a narrative that was already happening and so they're just they're just interpreting the events that were going on in the world through the lens of their new relationship with yahweh but it's important as a modern Bible reader to kind of understand that. We make these assumptions, but there's there's so much to learn from this standpoint that God was entering into this new group of people to interpret what happened. This, this massive, memorable flood that was an actual historical event but that other ancient people wrote about. And the Israelites weren't writing about it first. They were interpreting it through the lens of Yahweh, right? Absolutely. So they are differentiating by the way they tell the story 
uh, how Yahweh is different than the other gods, the lower case gods, G gods. So, you know, I think that's important is that we have to recognize that there are multiple flood stories. And so, so yeah, we got other flood stories to compare to this flood, flood story that's in the Bible. So we kind of get back to that question. Was it a worldwide flood? That, yes. That was the initial kind of deal. So was that's it? the question. Wasn't well, it? I, does it matter? No, I think it does matter. And here's, here's the reason. I think if we would jump into the shoes of these people uh, and think the way they would think, they would have thought it was worldwide. Uh, but all science tells us it was regional. Now, so if we jump back in, do you, they would have thought that the world was flat. They had no concept of a globe. Some right? people think the world's flat still today. I know, <laughs> I know. You're one of those people. No, I you? am not a flat earther, man. Like, <laughs> How far do you have to drive? To right, right, across, before you, know? you fall off. Right? Before you fall off. <laughs> Uh, and so, if you would imagine the flat earth uh, standing in your field with your sheep, because everybody was shepherds back then, right? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. And they were, and, and they would, if you would have seen the flood uh, from that perspective standing in the field, it would appear that everything was flooded. As far as their eye could see, was flooded. And so, because they believed in a flat earth, then the water was equal all the way across, right? So they would have assumed that the whole earth was flooded. Makes sense. So they have satellites or, you know, astronauts up floating around on a space station or, you know, anything like that. So they had no concept other than what they saw right in front of them, in front of their faces. I think it was really interesting um, to put ourselves in their shoes. And we ought to do that more when we're reading the scriptures, to, to be honest. Uh, not just this one, but all of them. When we're asking questions like this, put yourself in the ancient shoes of uh, a person in that day. And it'll give you a new view of the scriptures that maybe you hadn't seen before. So they thought the earth was flat, right? Yeah. And so they did think it was a worldwide flood, uh, even though it would have been regional. There is no science evidence that it was worldwide, right? Yeah. But there was definitely a Mesopotamian flood uh, thousands of years ago um, or longer, you know, depending on how you view those things. And so what does it mean, though? Why does right, it why? matter whether it was regional or worldwide? And they would have asked that. Right. They wouldn't have thought, oh, this is a flood going on. Like sometimes we do. We say, oh, there's a flood. We got to do something about it. The ancient people would have immediately said and connected it to divine response. Yes. That was their yeah. worldview. It's not how is it happening. It's why is this happening? Yeah. Why is God doing this? Because everything was a matter of the gods. God caused everything. And so, so I think... Yeah, I think for, for us, if we want to answer the question why, let's look at some of those other flood stories. So let's just look at two. Uh, one flood story um, was, and you're going to love this one, um, one of the gods, uh, the god of weather, was upset that humans were making too much noise. And so this particular god decided to flood the earth to out of vengeance to uh you know out of wrath to get back to these loud he humans. had a headache he had a yes. divine headache yes <laughs> listen i get pretty grumpy when i get a headache i can i can really identify with this god but also in that world i am just uh, i am not in a good good place because i am a loud person 
So if this yes, God was known by them, I would be like the first to go. Like he would drop like a torrential downpour just on my house first and deal with me first and then move on. <laughs> yeah. And then there would be some quiet guy like me who is, <laughs> is like, give me a book in the corner and I'll be quiet for a day. They, uh, uh, this particular person was spared from the flood. The God spared him. Uh, and uh, the God uh, challenged him to build a large boat in which to save him and some animals. So the Noah figure. The Noah figure, absolutely. Yeah. And then there was a second story. Uh, this is a historical character, Gilgamesh. Uh, maybe you've heard that name, but he, uh, they, uh, that flood story was a, a fanciful story about this historical character that uh, he was pursuing immortality and the gods led him to build a boat and he was the sole survivor. It kind of sounds like another movie or television show, sole survivor. And so he was the sole survivor of a great flood and the rest of humanity died. So he was exalted because he was pursuing immortality. Well, that sounds really familiar. Yep. Build a Some boat, of the, get animals on board, right. you know the same deal. So the, the, my question is, because this feels like there's part of it that's like, oh, well, that makes sense. But then there's other parts of like, well, I don't know how I feel about that as a follower of Jesus, as a Bible reader who generally holds that the Bible is my authority of truth, that these Bible writers were writing their story based largely on other people's already written stories like they were they, they I mean obviously they weren't copying but it kind of ties back to this idea that were they were retranslating or reinterpreting events of the world based on their new relationship with Yahweh Yes. I mean, and, and so when we take a look at that, it's the question, as you just said, are they are they copying this from these other stories are or is the author of Genesis, which we uh, attribute it to Moses, was Moses saying that Yahweh is different than the other gods? Yeah. And that's where we land. Not not just in this particular story, but a lot of the stories in Genesis um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It those particular books, uh, specifically, are about distinguishing Yahweh from the other gods and idols, and so that's important for us to know. Not just in this story, but all stories. How is God different? How is Yahweh different? And if that's what you know, like Leviticus, very great example. Leviticus is just crazy, right? But Leviticus is a book that teaches these slaves how to become human beings again how to be anti-Egypt. And so when you think about it from that perspective, Leviticus, Leviticus is a cool book because it teaches you not, how not to be a slave, how not to be dehumanized, how to be a human being. So for that example, um, and the flood story is the same way, this God is different. Yeah, and I love that just as a, again, for all of our listeners out there as you're navigating the scriptures, it, it's such a healthy technique to step back as you're reading the scriptures. And I mean that kind of symbolically, take a step back in order to see the, the, greater, the greater view or the bigger expanse of scripture as it unfolds before us. And a lot of times we like to read with a pretty narrow perspective where we're just in the story, what's happening here, what, what's God doing in these people. But as we back away from the story and 
and see the broader kind of, um, what's the fancy, the periocope, the bigger story, the bigger connections. We see these themes coming out through scripture, like you said, of God showing himself that he's different than all other gods that is, is popping up all over the place, you know? And I think it's also important to note too, Paul, that this, this wasn't like the, the Israelite people didn't drop down and say, Oh, let's grab this book of Genesis over here and let's copy it. These were stories that were in the foundation of people groups during the ancient times that were passed down orally. And we talked about that actually in a recent episode of the Bible says what, go check it out as we talk about how do we know the Bible's accurate? But these, through oral tradition, they're passed down, and so they're interpreting these stories that were in the the roots of the people during those days. Um, and they were reinterpreting it, like you said, through the lens of how is God different? Yes, yes, absolutely. And we get lost sometimes into details, but if you think about the campfires in which people would have sat around and shared their oral traditions, there would have been big picture type of ideas talked about. And I could picture, you know, uh, a, a child coming up to Moses at the, around the campfire and say, well, tell, tell me, Grandpa Moses, tell me about the flood. You know, tell me about creation. Tell me about this. And so these oral traditions would have been communicated and passed down from generation to generation in an accurate format because this is what they did. They sat around and talked, right? They talked about these stories that were foundational to their faith. So, yeah, sometimes we can get lost in the details. And I think you're right. I think we need to back up sometimes maybe to look at the 30,000 foot view of these stories. And we see the what, what God is trying to communicate through his people that he is different. He's not a God of vengeance, which we're going to talk about in a second. He's a God of love. And so that is the important part really the ending of the flood narrative is the important part of the flood story is that he is different. And and as we continue with that, okay, so the ancient people flood happens, you know, all this bad stuff going in that connected directly to this divine presence that's doing something in the world. The Israelites were the same way. So let's kind of jump to that, I think, because I'm curious about as we enter into these depictions of God entering in and like killing everybody, you know, why? Why did Yahweh, if, if he's any different, then how is it different? What was Yahweh doing in the flood story? Well, it's, it's the question is, you know, the thing we have to remember is it happened, right? It happened. It was a past event that they're describing the why. They aren't talking about how it happened. They're talking about why it happened. And so they're looking backwards upon this event. And now they're living in the present. The flood happened in the past. Now they're talking about the present and looking into the future. And they're talking about how their present is different and how their future is different. And so there's this story that takes place with Noah about a sign that was given to him and the family and it was a sign that was saying that god would not flood the earth anymore now all the other flood stories there was no covenant there was no promise given to um to humanity at all that the gods weren't going to flood again the the wrath wasn't going to happen again so you better be on your best behavior this god says i'm not going to do it anymore this didn't work I'm not going to go down that route. The other gods continued to go down that route and the route and those people that followed those other gods continued to believe in violence as the answer to everything. And I think it's, we have to remember that this, like you said, the event happened, 
So they 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 have to explain for them their their whole foundation of relationship with God came through explaining the events of the world through that lens. So they had to resolve the reality of the flood somehow, you know. And uh, I, I know you've mentioned this, but our, our modern point of view, especially when we have Jesus in our lens, you know, is it, they're, they're hard to resolve the two pictures of God. Because this one, as in some of our other conversations about violent depictions of God in the Old Testament, it's more like Megatron, you know, God stomping around and killing everybody. But in, in, in their world, it was normal for how God relates. But then this statement at the end, like you said, I know you have some really cool stuff actually to share about this metaphor at the end of the flood story that reveals, again, if the point is, how is Yahweh different than all the other gods? And we don't lose sight of finding that point in just our narrow view of, oh, God killed everybody. Let's see what what really the point was all about. We see God, like you said, making a statement of who he was, how he would be different, and eventually how would we we would come to more completely know him through Jesus and his revealing of who what the true nature of God really was in the flesh. So the, so this this end point is really the most important thing. And for ancient people it was easier to see that way, I think, because for them it was just normal for gods to act this way. And then shocking that God gave this sign of something different, kind of a change of course. For us in our modern view, we have to try to again enter into their shoes and not be so disturbed by by the reality of this happening in the world, but that God came down and really pay attention to what did he say? Why, do, why does it matter that he said, I will no longer or never again commit violence against the world? Why does that matter? Yeah, so he gave a sign, right? And the sign is the rainbow. And so what do you think of when you think of rainbow? Precious moments, maybe? I don't know. Some, <laughs> some, some, I remember those things from the Christian bookstore, the precious yeah, moments. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, that's funny. So, unicorns. You said yeah. unicorns. <laughs> yeah. But there is no, all right, there is no Hebrew word for rainbow. Right? Huh. So when you look at the idea of rainbow, they're talking about a bow and arrow. And so they didn't see it as a rainbow the way we see it. They saw it as a bow hung in the air. Mm. I think it's really important for us because we think of the multiple colors, we think of the the unicorns, we we think of whatever it means in our present culture. But back then, it was a bow and arrow up in the air. And so that is the meaning of the flood story is this God is hanging his bow up in the air, never to grab it again, never to commit violence against the earth, never to commit violence against us. And this is a promise for all humanity. So it extends to us today. And whatever uh, false depiction of God we have, that God is a wrathful, vengeful God, it's a misreading of the texts because God is ultimately um, uh, shown to us into the person of Jesus. And so Jesus is the exact imprint of who God is. And we see that in the flood story when we see the bow hung in the air. And I don't know about you, maybe if you're listening today, you need to like connect with that image. Maybe for you a lot, for a long time, and especially as you read the scriptures and, and are confused how to navigate some of these difficult depictions of what God is doing, maybe you need to focus in and, and really connect with that image. Maybe God in a very real way needs to repeat that again in your life and say, you know what, I'm hanging up. I'm hanging up the bow. I, I need you to see that this is not how... 
I relate or interact with my people, with my children. I'm hanging up the bow. Maybe, and how, how powerfully profound that is to experience that in our own personal lives. I know so many folks that I talk to are just a lot of times ultimately in fear of anything that they do is going to incur the wrath of God or somehow incur punishment from God and this anger upon them. And, and it keeps us distant from God and relationship with him. It, you know, I don't want to run to a father who I'm afraid of. <laughs> I want to run to a father who I know is going to embrace me now, bring change in my life and correct my path, which sometimes is hard and sometimes can be painful, but let's not confuse that discipline of redirection with discipline of punishment and anger and hate. And that in my own personal walk with Jesus, that has transformed the way I see and interact with God. And it's such a powerful, I love metaphors in the scripture. And this one, I had never known this before, Paul. So I'm really thankful that you kind of brought it up and never thought of the rainbow and not, not rainbow, not being in the Hebrew language, but this image of God hanging up the bow. Man, I could preach that mess. That is good stuff, Pastor Paul. Yeah, it's life changing. And as you were talking, I was thinking, you know what? I need to teach my kids this. Mm. You know what I mean? And so when they see a rainbow, they understand what it means that God is not a God of violence. He's not Aries, right? He's not the God of war. That this God is the God of love and God of peace and God of restoration and God of renewal. That's who this God is. He's the God of love, not the God of war. Man, and we, we, have a lot of narratives around the world right now. And I think all throughout human history where we want, for whatever reason, we want to hold on to this image of destructive, angry God, Mm -hmm. because we like our destruction stories from afar. Mm -hmm. But we, what, what a powerful promise of hope to a world that desperately needs it and a challenge for us as followers of Jesus to remember that all throughout the scriptures from Genesis to the maps if we step back God is trying to say I am different than other gods don't confuse me with all these gods that you've known before I am Yahweh I'm different I'm hanging up my bow I'm I'm about love and mercy and forgiveness and grace may we not thwart his narrative anymore (laughs) You know, and if as we reconnect as learning to read the Bible and these conversations and this podcast, the Bible says what I think as followers of Jesus, let's just remember that let's not let's not move out of step with that. Let's help God with that narrative, not work against it. And that is just powerful uh, and a little bit, you know, challenging as a Christ follower. What what God am I portraying to the world? You know, am I, am I showing the world rainbows the other way? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think of, you know, uh, are we willing to let go of the myth of redemptive violence, mm. which is a, which is a lie that Christians have a hard time letting go of for whatever reason, we believe that we can defeat evil with or violence. But God shows us through Jesus Christ that God defeats evil through enduring love, not through violence. And that is a game changer because the God that we see in Genesis of the flood story is the same God we see in Jesus. He's not changed. It's the same God. And That's all. (laughs) It is so cool. And for me, Paul, when you talk like that, it makes me even see the flood through another lens. And again, from the 30,000 foot view, when you step back, you see themes of water all throughout scripture. 
you you see themes of purification through the cleansing of water. I mean, what comes to mind really quickly is baptism. What do we do when we're baptized? Yes. We are we are we enter the waters, which represents death. And we come out of it, which represents a purification. So the waters consume us and then the waters recede and leave behind what God originally created in the first place. Now, it's it's destructive in the sense of he's doing away with the things that are are not right. Right. And are just are are making us not the version of ourselves that he wants us to be. But it's redemptive in the fact of, of being purification. And we see these these themes of water and baptism all throughout Scripture. And when I see the flood, the way you've been talking about it, God hanging up his bow, I even see the activity of the flood differently. It's no longer destruction, but it's purification. It's a baptism Absolutely. of the world to redeem the people of the world to be who he's made them to be all along in that message. Yeah. You know, as you were talking about that, uh, it reminded me of one of our baptismal vows that we make when we're baptized, and that is to turn away from evil and violence. Hmm. And so as we're baptized, we make that vow, whether it's verbalized or not, that's in the traditional Orthodox Christian uh, vows at baptism is we turn away from the evil. And so just like that flood story of hanging up the bow, we are turning away. We are being cleansed from the evil cleansed from violence and when we go down under the water and we come up and we find life just like that dove went and got the olive branch there's life now um you know uh, noah and the family get a do-over a new creation and that's what we are when we come out of the water i want some of that man I don't know about you, but <laughs> Amen, dude. <laughs> what a great conversation how, who knew so much could be wrapped up in the flood story I love that how God's word no is is uh, continually surprising and I mean one of my hopes my great hopes for this podcast and our conversations together Paul is that folks uh, discover new and fresh um, readings of the scripture new new surprises um, new transformations and uh, that's that's my hope I, I know that's our hope and prayer for these conversations for all you out there who are listening and uh, wrestling with us so thanks so much uh, for another great conversation Pastor Paul yeah this has been good man this has been really good so are you excited for the next one I can't wait we're talking about Adam and Eve or something aren't we like yeah. oh my gosh you, you keep coming up with these or Whoever, uh, by the way, so send us your questions. I, I, whoever sent this in is genius. And I know probably kids, children everywhere are like, why don't the adults talk about this? Who who married who <laughs> in the Adam right. and Eve story? Wait a second. Adam and Eve had kids. <laughs> who did the kids marry? What you know? is Seriously? happening? Yeah. Uh, That's next time. So that'll be a great, um, it, it, will, it will tickle my brain and make me go hmm, pastor ball <laughs> there, there you go uh, so this has been another interesting conversation we are so glad that you took the time to join us the on. bible says what we hope it's tickled your brain stirred your soul well and most of all connected you more deeply to jesus we hope that you'll join us for another exciting podcast uh, another episode of the bible says what podcast as we dig into a topic that's sure to make you go hmm as it continues to do with my faith journey. So here we go. Did Adam and Eve's children marry each other? <laughs> I, I really, really don't know what to say other than <laughs> it's going to be good. <laughs> That's right. I'm Pastor Paul. And I'm Pastor John. 
See you next time. Grace and peace. The Bible says what? The Bible says what? The Bible says what? What does this Bible say? What? Say what? Say what? What does the Bible say? The Bible says what?